Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we discuss a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. Today's episode is a new installment of our book club. We're talking about Daniel H. Pink's book, A Whole New Mind, Why Right-Brainers Will Rule the Future. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hi, Darlene. Hello. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited for book club, the return of book club. And not only return of book club generally, but return of the book club sting. Book club. Book club. Yeah. <laughs> Collecting my royalties. Yes. We can register you for that. Yeah. That could be Thank something you. we do. And when we did that, that was the height of our podcasting uh, high production value. And now I think we've improved since that. Although I love it. It is, I think we should keep it forever, but we had not done any experiments. Part of our DNA. Exactly. Uh, and, and a good example of me using my right brain. Good one. Okay. <laughs> so with that, we are talking about a whole new mind. I had mentioned in the fall that we would do this book. Um, and we have just been trying to find a time to uh, get back to it. It's There's so many timely issues for us. We we very much follow social media. We try to pick up the pulse of what's happening in the, the lawyer life world uh, when we're choosing our topics. And so this one has, has waited, but it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. This is not a new book, so we're not sort of covering a book that is recently released. And we came across it because actually my favorite, Oprah, interviewed- There's him. your bingo. <laughs> she said Oprah, everybody. Again. And I, I don't think we'll talk about it too much more, but maybe we will. So keep the bingo card ready. Um, we came across it because she interviewed Daniel Pink on her Super Soul Conversations podcast. And I was really struck by how um, the things that he wrote about 2005 was pretty early to be writing about this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it's becoming so true. I think we're seeing it already, but also it's something that we talk about a ton on this podcast. So um, the title just to refresh, A Whole New Mind, Why Right Brainers Will Rule the Future. And as a, you know, do you want to explain left brain, right brain? I think most people listening know, but let's just make yeah. sure. And, and Daniel Pink, the author, admits that he's a left brain person. So it's interesting that he, with that basis, is really on, you know, thinking the right brainers are the ones who are going to be a big deal moving forward. But anyway, so the left side of your brain is sequential. The right is simultaneous, as they say. The left spe specializes in text, is logical. The right specializes in context. The left analyzes details. The right synthesizes the big picture. So we have a very like you know buttoned down, uh, methodical, rational left side, and the right side is the creative side. Right. And I the when I looked it up, it was you know left brain is analytical, methodical. Right brain is more intuitive, thoughtful, subjective. Yeah. Is what I came across to, and that spoke to me. Yeah. So when you read the description in the uh, online bookstores, it says the future belongs to a different kind of person with a different kind of mind, artists, inventors, storytellers, creative and holistic right brain thinkers whose abilities mark the fault line between who gets ahead and who does not. So um, that also speaks to me because I think as lawyers, historically, I think we would have been painted anyway as left brained analytical, methodical, working with text. Would you agree? I think that's the stereotype. That's perception. That's the skill set that people stress when they're considering uh, you know, what a good lawyer is. Now, were you 
this is an interesting question for me. Do you think that going to law school made you more left-brained or did you have yeah. that sort of, yeah? I So when, I once in a job interview, uh, this was when I uh, was in law school and I had left uh, my job in uh, television where I was a segment producer. And I said that when I was uh, working at MTV, uh, I felt like I was the most methodical person in that office of creatives. Mm. And then when I went to law school, I felt like I was the most creative person in this world of like methodical people. So it's kind of like I felt more left-brained at MTV and I felt more right-brained at, at law school because of the the group of people Contract. I was with. Exactly. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it definitely had that influence on me. How about you? I think when I went to law school, I really benefited from that reigning in, honestly, of the um, of the creative side. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have thought of it that way at the time. I think I would have thought of it that I was developing <clears throat> like an analytical rigor to my thinking, which law school is really good at that. And it's helpful all the time, right? Because it's um, to, to be able to analyze, like to, to see the big picture and draw a conclusion from it, that's a really useful skill. And I think that that is, mm -hmm. um, to me, that's a mix of left brain and right brain thinking because you're using an analytical method and then you're thinking about what does it mean? You know, what, what do I take from this? I totally agree. And we'll get to actually what is what the author refers to as symphony. But that's one of this that's one of the takeaways from this book that I love the most is the idea mm -hmm. of symphony as a fundamental human ability that will lead people to succeed in the new sort of state of things. Um I totally agree. Why don't we jump into uh to the six things that he talks about in this book just to give us some a frame. Yeah. And and to really frame up why Pink thinks these six things are important is because we're in a context now where um, his, he's basically saying because there's abundance in the world and more than ever people are living well and have a high standard of living, um, but, the, but still satisfaction uh, and really fulfillment is lacking. So what what he's basically positing is people who in the business world and, and other in other spaces can provide people fulfillment will be winning. And that's what right brain people are able to do, especially in the context of a lot of work being outsourced and automated. The one thing that people have over machines or over people doing work uh, overseas is that they understand present context and how to dial in to somebody's satisfaction, fulfillment, fulfillment and happiness. How can you design a product or design a service that's going to really fulfill and make somebody happy. So he says that there's six ways, you know, of human abilities that you need uh, or that are helpful to to get you to that point where your right brain is actually um, ruling the day and providing innovation, surprise, delight, fulfillment. Um, and those six, six things are design, story, our favorite symphony, empathy, mm -hmm. play, and meaning. So. Um, I think we could break those down and, and chat through the, each of them. Does that sound good? Sounds good. So design, and I, I really love this one. Uh, he encourages everybody um, to keep uh, what they like a design diary, basically, as a way to flex this muscle and strengthen this muscle. Uh, and to every day, note a good design and a bad design. So this could be something visual. This could be like, I was in line for coffee. And the way that they have designed the line 
means that it's really hard to get over here or over here or so on. And as you start to flex these muscles, um, you can start to actually understand and see these things more clearly. And then it becomes natural for you to when you're engaging in something as simple as like drafting a contract. Um, how can you design that thing to be more user-friendly, to give people what they need more, more readily and more easily? Um, because uh, Pink says everything is a product of a design decision. It's so true. And I think law is such an interesting environment to flex that muscle because, you know. Nobody does it. <laughs> well, some do. There's an excellent podcast. I would shout out to the Lawyerist podcast, actually, which just interviewed Kat Moon, who is a friend of mine mm -hmm. and someone I work with on design thinking um, ideas. And uh, just follow her on Twitter or see her. Um, she's the director of innovation design at Vanderbilt. And she just has such great ideas about how how to approach and what the mindset is. And um, she, I was listening to her interview and she was just talking about, you know, enjoying the aesthetic of life, you know, and yes. one of the problems when you walk into an office, like I think many lawyers right now listening would have PTSD a little bit thinking about this, but you know, many of us in our first jobs walked into this, these offices of paper, like the worst kind of paper of just four point font, um, doesn't make sense, isn't clear what the roadmap of the document is, um, just poorly designed. These documents mm -hmm. are poorly designed. They're designed to be absolutely impenetrable to the average person. And I don't think there's any room for that anymore. I was just working on something yesterday where I just thought, you know, this contract would be so much clearer if I just tell the story at the beginning, which is what recitals exactly. are supposed to do. That's in theory what recitals are, but it's kind of buried in like, whereas and now there too for. And, um, but, you know, I just kind of wrote a little story and said, this is how this contract works. This is how the documents flow together. And I drafted it somewhat legally, but I think it's going to reduce negotiating time on that contract a fair bit because half the negotiation discussion on that particular client's contract is often, you know, tell me how, what this document is, <laughs> you know, we can yeah. always be improving. So that's design mindset. And I think we have not been encouraged to do it because we've been encouraged to kind of take the template and crank it out uh, as is. And often my favorite discussion is like, well, why is this clause in here? <laughs> mm -hmm. And no one can answer, even though it's like a business specific point. Um, that means it's been in there a long time, just, you know, being, being sent out. So anyway, design thinking kind of takes a crack at that stuff. The interesting thing that I find too, when working with business partners and, and clients is that, um, you know, oftentimes I don't think I appreciated going into being a lawyer that that we design systems and processes like mm -hmm. that in so many ways uh, and get used to doing that. Like that is something and, you know, um, so often we're the ones in the meetings that say, well, it's going to go this way, this way, this way and this way. Um, so it's really important that we're good at design because the, oftentimes the process that we suggest or put forward on paper winds up being real life for the people that are delivering. Um, and so, uh, this would be such a useful, uh, you know, practice for everybody in the profession, see good design, see bad design, uh, and start to appreciate how that can affect visually and, and also it, like literally how people are moving through their businesses, their products, their services, or their life. Yeah. And to me, I just think of the cost, like there is a cost to, um, you know, for example, if it's really hard to pay for something, I know I've talked about that on the podcast before, but 
why would it be hard to pay for a product that I sell? Right, like that—that's hard. Um, that's a that can be addressed through design. Um, same with with contracts. Why would I design? And this is a difficult question for us lawyers. Um, we don't want to design a contract that is really hard for the other side, and that we have to walk through using human hours to explain what it says. Right? We want to have a document that brings parties to a meeting of the minds and covers our risk and sets out what we're doing and mm-hmm. you know gets the business deal down on paper and that. Um, you know, some, I've said this before on the podcast, but to me, sometimes getting a big book of a document that isn't even relevant um, for most of it to the to the situation at hand is, in some ways, riskier because people just kind of glaze over; they don't even understand what's what's in there. Um, so for us, it's just to me, as we go forward, we need to. You know, our clients are smart too. They they have dealt with contracts. We all we talked about this in a previous episode too, but we all now deal with terms of service on a daily basis. So yeah. people are pretty pretty well versed in kind of the the language of contracts and being bound by contracts. And I think it's incumbent on us to make keep improving and iterating to to make that better. And this is starting to be imposed on the profession as well. When you look at the direction mm-hmm. that came out of the GDPR uh, change last year, it, like the literal direction was you need to build something visually uh, accessible to people. You can't bury these things in terms anymore. You know, use a video was encouraged. You know, very clearly tell people how you're using their information. And this flows well as to the second fundamental human ability that Pink recommends everybody strengthen is story. And he makes it's funny that you mentioned PowerPoint before. I know uh, in the Oprah podcast, he mentioned that like humans didn't evolve by communicating through PowerPoint. Like we want narration. We want a beginning, a middle and an end. Like we that's how people best learn and process information. So, uh, you know, very similar to design point. That is how we should be structuring our negotiations, our contracts, dealing with clients of just walking through, as you talked about, what are we trying to achieve here? What is the actual, tell us about how this relationship unfolds. And that mm-hmm. is that is the focus. Well, and often too, telling the story is very helpful to get parties off of entrenched positions, right? right? Because it gives you kind of a, here's why we're doing this. Here's what we need. What are your, you know, here's why. And here's where we'd like to end up. That, that is a story. Yeah. And that that's kind of how... Um, whenever I think of a, a negotiation that seemed intractable and unsolvable and then became something we could solve, it's usually like people buy into a version of events that makes sense to them, right? Like if, it, totally. if you can't get the other side to understand your position, and maybe this is um, jumping ahead to empathy, but you know, one of the ways you get people to understand your position is through story, through explanation, through um, yeah. connecting, Right. So if you can't tell a good story, you are hammering away on an indemnity clause or something and no one understands why or where the points are that you might intersect to solve or get to a solution. Just as you said, humans don't communicate by PowerPoint as we evolve. I don't think that humans came to resolutions uh, by redlining documents to one another, you know. And so I think it's a takeaway for the profession generally is a lot of the time when we're negotiating with one another, sometimes we don't even talk to one another and that prolongs easily can prolong a negotiation. Whereas if we get on the phone or ideally get in a room and see each other um, and we're able to storytell and give context, flex that right brain 
instead of the left brain that's just like knocking down a term and writing a new one because that's what I'm taught and that's what's logical. Um, that's going to get a better result for everybody uh, faster. Um, maybe we can hold on sympathy because I think it's a great way to uh, find finish things. So let's move on to empathy and then, and then loop back if that's okay with you. So the, so the number four thing he talks about is empathy, obviously standing in the shoes of others, uh, feeling with their heart, seeing with their eyes, as Pink says, uh, and this is something that cannot be automated. Hmm. Well, yeah, it can't really be automated, but it's also something that I think it's a muscle too, right? Don't you think? Mm -hmm. it's not, some people kind of look at this one like, oh, you're an empathetic person. I'm like, yeah, but I think I get more and more empathetic as I get older. And I think um, having children makes you more empathetic. I think, um, you know, being in difficult situations of per personal health or, um, going through something that you didn't previously have personal experience with in whatever context, children is one of those contexts, I guess. Um, you get better and you can become, and you can, you know, as a focus, try to be more empathetic, um, and try to really feel what someone else is feeling. Uh, and I, yeah, I find that really helpful. Yeah, I totally agree that it's a muscle. And I think that it it needs to be built in as a habit. You get to a better point in the end because you're actually embracing all folks uh, and, and, and all perspectives and that gets a better result in the end and makes things collaborative and cooperative uh, instead of uh, uh, butting heads um, because you're unwilling to see the other side. Well, and can I just sort of give a shout out to both uh, both sides of a previously unempathetic situation and just say that it's important to get to empathy that people do share their experience honestly and authentically, right? And I think um, we're having a, there's a, a woman um, who we've talked about before on the podcast, but her name is Brianna Needham, and she is spearheading a, an initiative here in Ontario where um, at one of the main courthouses in our province, there is a humongous dressing room for men and there's a tiny kind of locker for the women uh, council to put their robes on to argue in court. And she just kind of spoke about it candidly and put it out there. And it's caused a lot of conversation. And I think the opportunity for empathy, right? Um, it takes courage to say my experience of this situation is that it makes me feel like maybe I can't put my best foot forward in court. Um, and once you have that discussion, then the other side has the opportunity to say, hey, I didn't realize that that was the case. I didn't know the women's room was so small or whatever. You know, it's like mm -hmm. um, without people willing to stand up and say, I am negatively affected by what's happening, um, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to put yourself in someone else's shoes and think like, well, how would I feel if if the room that I was sent to was a quarter of the size of the other one and I couldn't find a reason why. Like, I don't know, just a small example, but that's what I was thinking about this week as a, a real life lawyer example to ground that concept in. It's such a great example. And I think it goes back to, um, you know, our, our conversation on diversity and building, you know, that architecture of understanding and the way that you can start to construct, construct that architecture is by getting the information you need. And it's such a wonderful example of blind spots because men would not have mm. known <laughs> and women would not have known because by the very nature of these rooms, these folks are divided from seeing what the other experience is. That comes down to somebody walking into a room and instead of left-brained, just basically you know, thinking about the past or the future as the left brain does, the right brain thought in the present and thought, why is this room so small? What is going on yeah. here? Like, and that's being, that's being present uh, and that's a right brain practice. So a, a great example of that. Amazing. The, the next uh, fundamental uh, piece that 
that Pink says we have to work on the fundamental human ability is play, which is great. And it's something that mm-hmm. adults do not do enough. I'm I'm learning very much by now being a parent and understanding how imperative play is. Uh, and it just has been taken out of our day. Well, and humor, I would put, you know, like it's just, just this idea, because I think I experience a lot where people are kind of surprised that I take a humorous approach sometimes on a negotiation mm-hmm. or um, but humor is a very powerful tool mm-hmm. and not taking ourselves too seriously is a very powerful tool just to say, you know, we all, we got to negotiate this contract, got to get this done. This could be so awful or we can advance the ball. And, you know, what I find really good, I'm, I use a lot of sports. Uh, Darlene, you love you sports so much. <laughs> I don't even know any players or most of the rules, but I use this, like, get the ball down the field. Generally, that's what you want to do. I mean, in every sport, you just, you want to, you want to move the ball down the field. You want to move the ball and, co- you know, cooperate with your people mm-hmm. that are, you know, can help you do that. So I'm I'm very big on, on kind of how to, how to work as a team. And I find that in like this concept of play, if you can make a discussion or a settlement or anything enjoyable, I mean, sometimes you've got a, a relationship for life. And also you have a relationship that will help you if a problem comes up in that contract, yeah. right? Like if you have a really awful negotiation and then you have a, you know, situation come up, you're probably going to have a very awful, maybe litigious settlement Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Whereas a good relationship can get you through. So play is, I mean, yes, just like, is he talking about, do you think actually getting outside and playing? Well, he's, he's stressing that we understand the power of games and that that structure is a way to build relationships, to learn. And, you know, if you're not using that structure, you're missing out, especially uh, the way that things are trending. Like what, gamification of everything is seems to be occurring like everything is about getting points and you know this is this is it all ladders up to this and i do know from my experience using humor and play in educating people has been so much more successful than left braining it and just putting some bullet points up and talking through them and i have done presentations to client staff about a legal issue and i can tell you that I still get feedback, positive feedback, because I was humorous and used play uh, during that presentation. It actually got into their brains and they were engaged. Um, whereas just put, just left braining it and saying, you know, well, here is the principle and here's the, you know, the, how the decision was come to and blah. And like, no, people aren't going to be down for that in general. So um, really important. Hmm. The sixth fundamental ability, and then we'll talk about symphony at the end, is meaning. And this this goes back to kind of the way I tried to frame all this up is that people are, in Pink's view, now more than ever yearning to know what life is all about, and and in his view, businesses, individuals that offer solutions, help to shape the lives of those searching. So uh, understanding how to get to fulfillment is actually uh, a, a huge competitive advantage in his view. Hmm. I wonder, and he's saying, so the book was written in 2005. Mm. I think that this has only massively increased since then. Um, This idea of fulfillment. Like, I don't really remember many people talking about that in 2005 um, at all. But I think most people consider it now, whether they make it a a goal in their life or not. Like, it's definitely a consideration. Um, 
but yeah, I don't you find too that just knowing the meaning and understanding where we're trying to go and why um, is just helpful when when doing your work. Yeah. Right. Like I think there used to be a culture of like the the people on the ground didn't even know why culture mm-hmm. why the CEOs were doing what they were doing, and now in the whole tech startup world, certainly there's a big culture of like ask me anything and sit sit downs and stand ups and you know trying to make it so that your clients um, or so your employees rather are very well versed in the why of what they're doing. That that's pretty new. Yeah, I think. Simon Sinek or whatever you know that huge champion of of you know, understanding your why. But I think what that is about is because products and services that are successful now tap into something more. It's not about making a phone anymore, right? Like 50 years ago, it was like, right. we make telephones, they sit in homes and they work, period. Now it's like you 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 create a device that will help somebody, you know, Build relationships, get through their life more efficient, uh, efficiently. Like actually service the individual in a way that's so unique to them, um, and mm-hmm. and will bring. I think that the goal in many instances is bring meaning to greater meaning to their life. Um, you know, help them reach their goals. It's not just about hardware. Right. Uh, and so that's kind of what Pink is getting at. Is like, who are the people? that can actually build that type of product. It's right. It's he says that the MFA is the new MBA. It's now being an artist. Mm. And that's, you know, one of the largest industries of video games. Like this is storytelling. Like there's so much that of the way that our economy is moving, that it's really about these six fundamental human abilities of like, that's, you need these things to, to build a product or service that will succeed in this the new world we're in. And, and the last thing is, and we talk about symphony and here it is. Symphony is about, you know, the last fundamental human ability. Symphony is about bringing things together. It's seeing the big picture, connecting the dots. And Pink says, this is the signature ability. It's the best predictor. I love this. The best predictor of star performance in the workplace. It's seeing how the pieces come together. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is, if there's yeah. one thing that we should all focus on, it's symphony. You can see the details, but you get the bigger picture and you can connect them. You can connect these details into the larger picture. And that's a very unique ability. You think that's unique ability or do you think it's becoming more common? I, well, I, well, I think if, if it is becoming more common, that would make sense. But I, I, I do think that um, you know the way that jobs were structured in the past, uh, especially out of like industrialization and so on, is like, this is your little box. And as long as you stay in your box and do that thing, another person does their thing, another person does that thing, that all ladders up into whatever we need. Whereas now, because I think that more workplaces require flexibility, products are always evolving. Um, you know, this is a skill that you know people can't just sit in their boxes anymore uh, comfortably because their box might not exist in a, in a week or a month. And so you have to then understand where everything is moving and understand why and adapt. Um, so, uh, I, 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 perhaps it is more common, but I do think it's, it's so key. Well, adaptability is, uh, goes back to Darwin. That's an important skill, right? Survival of the fittest or whatever. Yeah. It's the ability to adapt mm-hmm. to new environments that they say is sort of the, uh, the key. And that's, I'm definitely feeling that at every, every single touch point of my work for sure. You know, what's so interesting that you bring up Darwin. I, I, 
was doing some interesting listening this week about evolutionary theory and, and Darwin. And, and scientists are now saying that Darwin's theories have kind of been oversimplified, uh, especially when it comes to reproduction, in that the, you know, the thoughts were that, well, animals just reproduced uh, based on looking for like partners that helped survival like you're the biggest or you're the strongest or you uh, you know these sort of things so my offspring will be that way what scientists are now seeing and darwin said it it just kind of went away that actually a lot of that decision making and reproduction is artistic and a lot of it is about uh intangible what the female animal liked and sometimes it's like a, a blue hue or that's why birds are dancing in a certain way and a lot of it doesn't have to do with function at all it just has to do with what we're drawn to and and what is beautiful and it's an interesting way to kind of bring all this together is that i think we sometimes want everything to be be very left-brained uh and sequential and rational but sometimes life is just about intangible artistic love and and that that's such an interesting uh thing to consider okay first reading evolutionary theory and learning more about Darwin <laughs> seems like another thing on Mike's to-do list that is very heavy. That's very heavy reading you're doing there. I didn't read. I, it was a podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Which is, I, for me, that's, similar. That's but really, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Relaxing. We love podcasts. Um, and the second thing I would say is I'm not really surprised that they're putting that layer on it only now, right? Like love is becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are presidential candidates mm-hmm. in the U.S. running on this theory of it's time to talk about love as a real entity. And I think society has just always had, you know, barriers up about talking about it in a, in a way that's relevant to politics or science, God forbid. Um, but I don't, I don't think that there's anything strange about that. There's nothing more real in life. It's just that we don't have a vocabulary or a, as we've talked about before, it's kind of parked in the flaky camp, but I don't, I think needlessly so. So anyway, interesting. I would yeah. like to know what- It's not woo-woo about. anymore, as Oprah and Daniel Pink yeah, said. Yeah, it's not woo-woo. It's starting to not be a woo-woo thought. I mean, for some, for some it still is, but anyway. Um, I like that you kept Symphony at the end because I know how you like sort of, uh, it's actually sort of a strange design in his book that it's in the middle because it's about connecting the dots. I agree. It all together. So, yeah, it's a, uh, we got to speak to him about this. We do. <laughs> Why is that number three and not number six? <laughs> it should not be number three. <laughs> so some lawyers were reading. I want you to book. connect all the dots, but I'm only going to give you two dots of six before I tell you to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is bad. <laughs> Daniel Pink might not welcome our uh, lawyer. Oh, I'm sorry, Daniel. Anyway, excellent book. Sure we highly recommend it um, as a theory just to think about and just to, um, you know, if you don't have time to read it, the podcast is uh, is very good. And his interview with Oprah is very good. So Oprah, 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 Oprah. Oprah, Oprah. Bingo, Dauber. <laughs> bingo, Dauber. Is it a Dauber? I don't know. I'm not a bingo player. <laughs> Isn't a D-A-U? I just daubed my bingo card. <laughs> you dab it. Anyway, dauber. I'm not I'm Googling this when this is over. Okay, my good friend. <laughs> we'll um, be back. Let's go to uh, the our, our advertisement and we'll be back with our goods.
The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back with our goods. Goods are things we like to support and promote. Darlene. According to Google, bingo dauber. No. <laughs> yes. My bingo cred is legit. Perhaps better than my uh, baseball cred, but yes. D-A-U-B-E-R. Anyway, not my good. Oh, my. Oh, wait. Look okay. at all the important things you learn on this podcast. I, Canadian Tire is selling Primo Bingo Dappers. Oh my God. Maybe it's a Canadian American thing. Okay. We have to look this up. I have to do further research. I only did enough research to uh, wait out the ad. But I do see Bingo Dabbers. Yeah. Only, How is that a word? Only Canadian Tire seems to think it's a dabber. But anyway, enough of this. Goods. My goods. Two funny, <laughs> funny uh, out uh, outgrowths of the podcast this week. One, I had been texting you on uh, one night this week and mm-hmm. uh, was telling you, or we were talking about what our, our topic was, and you were the last person on my list, and my son got a hold yeah. of my phone, and I was the next morning got to see or at some point a, a text of a car emoji to Mike Anderson, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I looked at it and I thought, what is that? Who even knew that my son could spell? I totally, <laughs> totally thought it was your son. Oh, okay, instantly. good. <laughs> it also yeah. said Kato underneath it, which uh, was a, a second attempt, I think. But anyway, uh, so that was funny. And then the second yeah. funny outgrowth of the podcast is that my dad listens to the podcast. He is not a lawyer, but I would say he's uh, definitely a fan. And he, a uh, fan of our lawyerly musings, and he takes them outside the podcast just to uh, be musings on life. And he gives me really good feedback. And he knew about your dad's reference to the stand up idiot party. Um, and he connected that this is because it's you're sipping your wine, SIP. Uh... <laughs> and so we just established that perhaps why we get along is that both of our parents are, uh, you know, pretty into strange joke so to be explored that's like an inception level dad joke it's like a joke inside a joke yes and then it goes way back and maybe only two dads in the whole country know that joke but you know they both maybe listen to this podcast i don't know you have to get your dad to listen and see what he thinks it's great i remember you know the day my daughter was born i was at the hospital i you know i held her to my chest the first time and then i was taken out of the room and a microchip was put in my brain and that gave me all the dad jokes i needed and that's how it works right that is we all just get uploaded uh-huh yeah. well good because yeah. it's an important social function anyway those are my <laughs> funny goods from uh some semi-podcast related that's great um my good is a content related good netflix show which i'm sure many people have started to get into russian doll oh incredible never seen a show like it it is amazing. Um, what the so I highly recommend is. it. Does, okay. So uh, basically the main character, she goes to her birthday party um, and ends up leaving, you know, for a reason, whatever, uh, and gets hit by a car and dies. But when she dies, she wakes up and she is back in the bathroom at her birthday party. And, and basically she's back in time as if that didn't happen. Um, and what follows from that is that she keeps waking up in that bathroom and keeps dying and can't get out of the cycle. Um, and uh, so 
it's it's kind of it's not like Groundhog Day ish. It's a little bit dark. It's funny. It's uh, at times like a thriller. It's complex um, and great acting and great writing, um, great music. Um, yeah, really great show. Loved it. Okay, well, basically, you're the one who I get my Netflix <laughs> recommendations from, so I will. Uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, well, that does it for this week. Thank you for Daniel Pink for giving us this book uh, to uh, to review and consider now a decade later, well, more than 15 years later, almost mm. 14 years later. And he did it. It's happening. It's great. Let's use our right brains. I'm going to start with a design diary, I think. That's a That'll be my next good step. start. Good start. What? Okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to think about contracts. I'm first going to write him an email about the uh, six versus three on the symphony. Then... Yeah, that's a good place. To go. I mean, that's what authors want 14 years later is to get an email about sequential life. I think it's just as a, uh, as a summary final point, it's just important to think about the fact that if you're struggling with something that, you know, the methodical nature, the analytical nature, it's very important at this point to tap into what makes you... Um, you know, what is in your right brain and how do you hone those muscles and how do you prepare for the future? I think that's the bigger, bigger takeaway, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, this is going to be important. It's getting, he was right. It's increasingly important already. And automation was just like a baby um, enterprise in 2005. So uh, mm -hmm. from my perspective, anyway, and in law, certainly. And so now it's just, okay, if you have a law degree and you were relying on the left brain, you kind of have to jump into relying on the right brain and, and making sure that you're, you're adaptable and flexible and empathetic and, you know, add it to our to-do list a bit. But um, I say that a little bit joking because I think most of us find most of the, for most of us, this was intuitive. We then trained our left brain, put it off to the side. And now I think mm -hmm. we have the freedom to get it back out, focus on it. Let's do it. Let's do that. Okay, well, thank you. Okay. Have a good weekend. You too. Okay, we'll talk okay, soon. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.